Good morning, everyone. The music has stopped. I'm, uh, I'm Joe Simone. I've got a piece of paper here that says I'm supposed to introduce myself. So I'm Joe Simone. Um, good morning. I'm going to give the reading this morning. And I got this sheet of paper from Pastor Austin. And I'm going to make two observations before I read it. One is that Pastor Austin obviously thinks I'm blind. Because I could hold this up and you guys could... You guys could just read it for me. And two, it starts with therefore. And so we're going to read from Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Since it starts with therefore, you got to read chapters 1 through 4 before Austin gets up here real fast. Okay, that's enough of my dumb jokes. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. Say amen if we stand. If we stand, we stand in grace. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Thank you, Joe. All right. Well, good morning. It is such a joy for me to sit under the red word of God. And so I just want to say thank you, Joe, and then last week, thank you, Ryan, um, for, for taking on that task so that I can as well submit to the word before I preach it to you. A couple announcements before we get started. Um, two things that are, that are really important. The first one is if you are signing up your kid for Go Camp, Today, we really need to know what shirt size they are wearing. So if you can confirm and, and pay if possible for your t-shirt today, that would be amazing. And you can do that at the Welcome Center after service. Um, we want to order the shirts this week, and we want to make sure everybody who's joining us actually gets a shirt. Did we just lose me? No? Oh, you just, you're, all right, we're good. All right, the next announcement that I have is that we are going to go to a locomotives game as a church. So uh, an opportunity opened up to purchase tickets in bulk so that we could uh, do a family outing. And so August, Robert, will you remind me of the date, 21st? August 21st. Um, is when we will be having our locomotives outing, but Something that's really important for us to know is that if we can purchase before August 1st, we will get a discounted price. So it's going to be $15 for the ticket. So if you want to sign up for that as well at the Welcome Center after service and purchase tickets for your family or your friends to join us for the Welcome Center after August 1st, it becomes $17. Um, and now that I've done with my marketing pitch and my salesmanship, um, let's get to the text. All right, they're playing with me. They're just trying to throw me off. I know it. Uh, we have been in a, a series uh, about gospel culture, and I think something that's important for us to answer this far in is what is gospel culture? When we say that, what do we mean? 
Gospel culture is the beauty of Christ that flows from us as believers when the beauty of Christ is made abundantly clear to us and is flowing into us. So gospel culture is the beauty of Christ that flows from the church when Christ is made center of the church. So when the teachings of Christ influence the way we live, that becomes the culture of the gospel. Gospel culture is the teachings of the gospel lived out. Gospel culture, I think, is a few things that we've been hitting on. Number one, it's, it's honor. It's a recognition that all have been created in the image of God. And so therefore, because of God's creation, all are worthy of dignity and honor and value. But it's also a recognition of the doctrine that we spoke about the first week, the teaching we spoke about. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Because Christ has welcomed us into his kingdom, it is now our responsibility as a believer to welcome others as well. But gospel culture means that their welcome is not predicated or based upon their merit or the merit of their work. It's based upon the work of Christ. Gospel culture is also honesty, though. It's not a culture of everything flies all the time and we just have lots of fun together, although rejoicing is a part of it. Gospel culture is a recognition that we are not innately good. We need a savior. We need someone who has rescued us. And so it comes with an importance of recognizing that we on our own are not enough. And we are okay to own that because we believe as Christians that on our own we will never be saved, but because of Christ's righteousness from the outside, imparting that to us, that's how we attain salvation. It's not some level of self-actualization that we somehow get to from the inside. We don't just continue to improve ourselves to attain salvation. No, Christ has given us salvation because of his work. But we also recognize that we're not okay. Like we, we have areas that we need to grow in. And, and when we recognize Christ's sacrifice for us, it's okay for us to own that. We don't, we don't need to be defined by some level of self-justification because Christ has justified us. And so we can walk forward dealing with our issues because Christ invites us into that. And so a gospel culture is honesty about where we really are and honesty about where we need to be. And so we enter into those spaces with people willingly and joyfully because we believe that a gift the Lord has given us in the body of Christ is true community that's centered around the gospel. And what we made note of last week is the gospel is not just do whatever you want. In fact, it's never do whatever you want. The gospel is come into the kingdom, imitate the king. And that's what we are desiring to do as a body, is to help one another imitate Christ. It's a place where we can be honest with each other and we can grow together to look more and more like him. I think something that's really important to recognize about this aspect, though, is that it is not just something that happens automatically. In the words of our very own Keegan Webb, the way that we help one another imitate Christ is through relationship, vulnerability, and time. 
right? We build true relationship with one another. We build true community with one another. And then we allow ourselves in to see where we really are, to, to be vulnerable. But we also submit to God and his patience for us so that we can walk out in patience with others as we are working towards sanctification, knowing that Christ has promised to do that work in us. And this is where we want to make sure that we push people. And, and if we've mentioned this a few times, but in the fall, we are going to be launching what we're calling gospel communities. And this is a place where relationship, vulnerability, and time will be at the forefront, where we one another each other from the New Testament. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We exhort one another. We point one another towards Christ. That is the goal of those groups, but it requires true relationship. And so when we launch them, we're going to be encouraging every single one of you um, very strongly to get involved in them. Because as a believer, you can come in on Sunday morning and get missed. But in a group where there's 8 to 20 of you, you're known. And you're loved. And it's a place to grow and not a place to be hidden, but a place to be known. The last thing and what we're going to be talking about mostly this morning is that gospel culture is rejoicing. Gospel culture is rejoicing. All throughout scripture, we see rejoicing as the proper response to God. When God acts, his people rejoice. Rejoicing is actually the scriptural response to Christ. If we were to look into the beginning of the New Testament, when Christ first shows up on the scene in the womb of Mary and the angels announce that he is coming, what does Mary do but she sings with rejoicing? What does a baby do in the womb when he is in Elizabeth's belly but he rejoices, he leaps in the womb, excited about this coming Messiah? The angels are heralding with rejoicing that Jesus is coming. And on top of that, shepherds are made known and they are also rejoicing. The response to Christ is to rejoice. And so I think we have to ask, like, why? What is the, what is the Christian's reason for rejoicing? I mean, we, we seem to live in a world that is so very dark and it just seems to get worse every week. And every time I open my phone, I just can't get away from the bad news. So if that, if we're supposed to rejoicing, why? Like, why does that matter for us? Why is that important for us? What teachings of the gospel, gospel doctrines, should move our culture in such a way that we become a people of rejoicing? And it's this, friends, because of hope in the resurrection of Christ, because of hope in the glory of God. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but my experience with myself and with other Christians has often been that we can be the most pessimistic people. Um, and let me uh, explain what I mean by that. We see the world and it can cause us to uh, retreat into negativity. We look out and we just think, oh man, everything's just going to hell. This is terrible. This is awful. Everything is ruled by the, Satan and this is just the worst place that we could ever be. So we need to just huddle up, do a holy huddle and never get involved out there because this is, man, this is bad. This is really bad. And, and I want to uh, affirm that yes, things, things are bad. I don't want to deny that, that there are things in this world that I'm not too excited about right now. 
But we are, as Christians, yes, called to be prophetic voices in the world, called to be prophetic voices in the church, but we're called to do so from a position of rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. So here's what I want to state today and then what I want us to, to hopefully move towards throughout this sermon today. You can tell where your hope lies when in the moment of rejoicing you have nothing to give. Where your hope lies reveals when you're rejoicing. When you stop rejoicing, it will reveal where your hope is. Maybe this is for you, financial security, and the moment you don't have financial security, your rejoicing ends. Or maybe it's your physical health, and the moment that you don't have physical health, your rejoicing is gone. Maybe it's your child's physical health, and, and my wife and I had a bit of an experience this week with our son, where we were really struggling to rejoice. Maybe it's your family relationships or your spouse, and, and the moment your spouse doesn't add up or the moment your family doesn't add up, your rejoicing ceases. Now, I want to affirm that all of these things are good desires. I desire for each and every one of you that you would have financial security if that is the Lord's will for your life. I desire that you would have physical health. I desire that you would have your children be physically healthy. I, I desire all of that for you, and I pray that for our members regularly. But I think something that's important for us to say is while these things are good desires, if they become our ultimate hope, we're going to be far from what the gospel actually calls us to. If these become ultimate security, we're going to replace the work of God in our lives to be ultimate security with circumstantial things that will always let us down. Our call, as we are going to see from our text today, is to rejoice, not in the hope of circumstance, but in the hope of glory. So let's go ahead and look at the text, and, and we'll go ahead and unpack this. So if we were in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith. Okay, so as Joe mentioned, therefore, you've got to look back to the first four chapters. But we'll go ahead and start with this. He starts in verse 25 of chapter 4 saying, He was delivered up, that's Christ, for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Okay, so there's that word we've been learning, justification, that Christ righteousness now becomes the righteousness of his people because of his work on the cross. And so since we have been declared righteous, the work of justification by faith in Christ, we now have peace with God. This is amazing. This is reconciliation that we would have peace with God through our Lord. And that's the concept of lordship again, right? It's not peace with God through our Savior, peace with God through our Lord. That's important for us to remember. And so when we get peace with God, that work of reconciliation through justification by faith is vital for us to understand. You see, our greatest need as humans is to be put back in the place that we belong. So C.S. Lewis talks about it like this. Uh, he uses the English language, and I think it's a really great way to look at this. God is a noun, and we are adjectives of that noun, right? What does an adjective do? It describes the noun. Our life exists to describe who God is. 
but we actually saw God as the noun and thought, I, I'd really like to be that. I'd love to be a noun. And so we tried to become a noun, but what happens if you take an adjective out of a sentence with a noun? It doesn't work. It's not a real statement. So adjectives can't survive on their own in, English, in the English grammar. Adjectives need to be attached to a noun. Without it, they're gone. So we actually, as individuals, in the words of C.S. Lewis, became more. We tried to become nouns, and in doing so, became less because we could not survive. And so when, when we have that aspect of our lives, our greatest need is through the work of Christ on the cross to be put back in our rightful place as adjectives describing who God is. And that is the work of reconciliation. Through the reconciling work of Christ, we are put back into our rightful place. And that is peace. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now let's go to verse 2. We have also obtained access through him by faith into the grace in which we stand. All right, so last week we talked about two things, the comfort of the gospel and the call of the gospel. The comfort is, of the gospel is that Christ has saved me based upon his work. The call of the gospel is now that he has saved me, he is inviting me to imitate him in sanctification through faith. That happens only by faith in Christ, but it is an aspect of Christ's work that we must include in our relationship to him, that we are constantly growing and imitating Christ. But I think what we have to recognize here is that something different is happening, right? Look at those first three words, we have also. So this is separated from justification. It's part of it, but it's an added thing. Not justification, but additionally received. We've received access by faith into the grace in which we stand. The grace in which we stand in is a sanctifying grace. And so we have now sanctification through faith in him. We obtain access to a continual outpouring of God's sanctifying grace through faith in Christ in which we are now standing in. It's holding us. And so as we become more like Christ, we do so not by trying harder, but by leaning into him by faith more and more. But wait, there's more here in this text. There's more. We now are going to unpack a, a new theological idea this morning, and that's not a bad word. Theology is not a bad word. Um, glorification. Look at the end of verse 2 for me real quick. Now, maybe you'll see varying translations. The one on the screen said boast. I think the best translation here is, and we rejoice. So we have been declared righteous. We have peace with God. We have also obtained access, and we rejoice. And we rejoice in prosperity. And we rejoice in perfect health. And we rejoice in sinless children. And we rejoice in the perfect spouse. And we rejoice in our dream job. No, is that what it says? No, it doesn't say we rejoice in those things. What does it say? That we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let's unpack that for just a moment. Let's, let's talk about the reality of the Christian life. We are constantly moving in sanctification towards looking more like Christ. 
But on this side of eternity, we will never get there perfectly. So you can breathe, but you can also walk forward knowing that you are improving, you are growing in your walk, you are looking more like Christ daily. But I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like great news if for eternity I'll still struggle. For eternity I'll still wrestle. For eternity I'll still be dealing with this flesh that causes me frustration and pain. The idea is that one day when Christ returns, we will become like him, fully and finally void of sin. That's encouraging. And the gospel does not exist in the context of just justification or just sanctification or just glorification. In fact, it's a beautiful diamond of all three of those things. And so it's important for us to add those in. So when we are constantly pursuing an imitation of Christ, we want to recognize that while we do not have complete sanctification now, we will one day have complete glorification where we look like him and we are involved in perfect humanity with Christ forever. But what's important for us to realize is there's actually an aspect of the glory of God that we currently reflect already as believers and as a church. If we go to 2 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about the idea that the Christian life is beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. You see, justification is that we are given the righteousness and we are defined as righteous. Sanctification is that we are slowly but surely becoming more and more like Christ, actually walking out in greater righteousness physically here and now by faith in Christ. Glorification is that one day we will finally be completely like him, completely righteous, perfect humanity, and forever we will be perfectly reflecting the glory of God. The more we look to Christ, the more we seek him, the more we put our eyes on him, the more we behold his beauty, the more we become like him. And so this is why here at Jesus Chapel, we put a huge emphasis on the work of Christ and the gospel. Like we just don't believe that you transform as a human being in any other context. We don't actually believe that you become more sanctified or more glorified in any other context than looking at Jesus. And so that's primary for us. So if you go to our website, you'll go to JesusChapelEP.com, and the first thing you're going to see is it's all about Jesus. Why is it all about Jesus? Because our responsibility as Christians is continuing to look at him, continuing to lean into who he is. And as we do so, as we uphold his beauty, we will become what we behold in Jesus Christ. And that is vital for us. And so what we're not about to do here is give you some practical tools on how to make better friends or give you some practical tools on how to make sure you have your best work life now. What we are going to do is continue pointing you to Jesus because we actually believe that his humanity was perfect. He was sinless. 
And so the more we look at him, the more we grow into his image, the more we will end up those things being practical applications that the word of God actually gives us. This is what Christ looked like. Walk in that. Okay, I, I got that. I can walk in that because that's what Christ looked like. When I fall, okay, I need to look back at Christ. I need to look back at him. I need to focus on him more. I need to love him. And from loving him comes the walk that we are all trying to walk. You see, we believe that Christ is our only hope in life and in death. The idea is that we are not alone, we are not our own, but we belong to God who ransomed our souls, purchased us from the grave with the costly blood of Jesus. And that is our present hope that one day we will be like him. And it is also our present glory that we are being transformed to be like him from one degree of glory to the next. But there's also a future glorification. So if, if you've heard this question before, I'll ask it in this moment, what is the chief end of man but to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Our end if you're an Avengers fan and I'm going to be hip, the end game is to glorify God and enjoy him not right now, not 10 years ago, not five years from now, forever, for eternity. That is the goal and purpose of your life. We are, as human beings, created in the image of God. We reflect his image back to him. Imagine, if you will, that God is the moon and we are, as it were, a crystal blue pond at night that reflects the glory of the moon. That is who we are. We reflect his glory. And so... Why do we believe that Jesus being of the utmost importance is what matters the most? Because having a God-centered life, a Christ-centered life, is more important than anything else in our hope of being glorified because we cannot reflect someone who we have not known and God has made himself known in Christ. Let's move on in the text a little bit. Verses 2 through 5, we start to see something else happen. This idea of rejoicing is unpacked. You see, it's easy to say rejoicing in a context of happiness. It's much harder to say rejoicing in what Paul is about to walk us through. Verse 3. Uh, let's go to verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, this is not just a circumstantial rejoicing. The good news of the gospel changes our responses to every single circumstance. We are called here in this passage to rejoice in afflictions. Why? Because affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And hope does not 
disappoint. We rejoice in hope knowing that because of God's love for us, he will glorify us. This is not the end. There is something better. Just as he has reconciled us, as this passage tells us, just as he justified us, just as he is sanctifying us, he most certainly will glorify us because these light and momentary afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Now those are words that Paul's going to use later on in this book. But I think we have to make sure that we recognize what Paul means when he says light and momentary. I think sometimes we can think, oh, he's just being casual, light, and momentary. But let's look at Paul's life and unpack Paul's sufferings. He was beaten. He was blinded by God, actually, for a few days. He was stoned to the point of death. He was ran out of cities. He was shipwrecked. While he is shipwrecked in prison, he lands on an island. And on that island, he's trying to preach the gospel and a snake comes and bites him. Dude just shakes it off and keeps preaching the gospel. Like, those are the afflictions that Paul is talking about. He is not saying this from an ivory tower standpoint of somebody who lives wealthily and has never experienced hardship. He is saying this from a position of someone who has given up everything for the gospel and has received nothing but suffering and afflictions in return. Paul also does not say here, pretend as if afflictions don't exist, right? Rejoice in them. He doesn't say rejoice and then that's it. Paul is saying rejoice in afflictions, which means this is not power of positivity Christianity, just, oh, yeah, it's fine, I'm great all the time, woohoo. Yeah, that's not what this is. Paul is saying rejoice in your afflictions, but the biblical testimony is not that suffering is not real. We cannot say that suffering is not a part of the Christian life. In fact, it, it seems almost from the biblical testimony that it's a guarantee for the Christian life. Scripture seems to make suffering a normative thing for those who are in Christ. But God does not make light of this. He does not make light of this. You see, his word actually gives us categories to lament the way things are, but always with a view of the day when he will make all things new. And always with a view of a God of justice, a God of steadfast love, a God of perfect righteousness and sovereign power. And if God is as holy as he says he is, you know what that means? It means that he cannot sin. And you know what that means? He cannot sin against you. He can't. Nothing he does is wrong. So when we see afflictions, when we see hardship, when we see pain, God gives us categories to lament those things, to feel sorrow for those things, for desire the day when all things will be new. But we can also trust because he is holy and he is perfectly righteous and he is just, that he is void of sin in those spaces. And he's perfect in those spaces too. You see, the answer of God to suffering is not to say that it's not doing anything. It's not to make light of it, but it's instead to say that it's doing something. 
something of eternal value. It's not meaningless and it is worthy of rejoicing in. Afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us. None of us at the end of our life is going to get to heaven, see the Lord in all of his beauty and say, is that it? All of that for this? It will not disappoint. And the light and momentary afflictions that we are walking through now are producing a weight of glory an understanding of who God is. And so we, in the words of James, are to count it all joy in various trials, for we know that this testing of our faith produces steadfastness. You see, the church should be a contagious culture of hope-filled individuals. Because of what God has done, the events of our day, the things that come against us should not distract us from the hope of glory. They should push us further into it. And when we dive further into the hope found in future glorification, we will dive further into rejoicing. If your hope is here and now, your rejoicing will be limited And it will be very far and few between. But if your rejoicing is in something that is eternally promised to you, something that is secured in the work of Christ and his resurrection, Christ has resurrected from the dead. That's happened. And so therefore we can look forward to the day when we know that he will raise all of us to complete and total newness of life. I think we have to make sure as well that we don't make this a you can't suffer. We can. We can feel pain. But in that, we lean into Christ. In that, we remember that this thing right here is pointing me to him. And even though it's painful and I don't understand why he's doing it and I don't understand what's happening and I don't understand why the world has to be as broken as it is right now, I can trust him. I can look to him and I can rejoice even in this. If we were to look at the life of Paul, his rejoicing seems to be something worth noting. Paul, throughout the New Testament, we see things like he's in prison. Great. Philippians 1. Literally converts the entire jail. <laughs> like, it's amazing. They're like, all right, we're going to kill him. He's like, great. To die is gain. They're like, no, never mind. We're going to keep you alive. He's like, great. To live is Christ. <laughs> Like, how do you shut that dude down? Like, that is so important for us to pick up on. 
He's looking at these things as avenues of the Lord's grace for him. And that's what, that, that's what we want to do, and that's where rejoicing comes from, knowing that the Lord will one day make it all perfect, and there is hope there, and there is glory there, and this is not the end. And so our church culture should be so rooted in Christ that we present a countercultural, powerful witness of hopeful rejoicing even amidst the afflictions, the afflictions of our world. Like, what would it look like if we believed God was as powerful as he says he is, that he is not limited by circumstance, but is instead capable of working all things for his glory and for the good of his people? Right? Because that's part of the promise. It's not just future glory. It's also good. And when he says that, when he says that it's going to be good, because he is sinless, he cannot lie. So it's going to be good. And my hope as, as, as a person who looks at this word and tries to communicate it to you would be that I can promote the glory of God and his goodness so that it's compelling because this is really true. This is really true. And so this morning, if you are suffering, if you are afflicted, I do not say this lightly. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is God's glory? It's his visible presence among his people. So when we're rejoicing in the hope, the future hope of glory is giving people here and now a taste of who God is. The day when he will wipe every tear from every eye. See, we, we know how it all ends, and because I'm in a C.S. Lewis mood, there are far, far better things ahead than anything we leave behind that does not devalue the things of today, that does not make light of them, that does not ignore them. It just means there's something better. So you can be confident that even though there will be pain in this life, even though there will be difficult, harmful, and even world-shattering suffering, even under the attack of Satan upon Christ in you, you have this hope that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ always wins. He is always victorious, and he always does what he says that he is going to do for his people. Always. And he is making all things new. When we lean into those truths, when we lean into that fact, we can hope, we can rejoice, we can involve ourselves in the public sphere as prophetic voices when our hope is not placed in the public sphere. We can own that things are rough and they are difficult, but we can also look forward knowing that one day it's going to be glorious and perfectly made new. That does not remove us from the fight. It helps us to lean into it 
with the hope of glory in our hands. And so we call people to that. We call them to the hope that is Christ. In a suffering and dying and broken world, what if the church was a place of rejoicing that called people to hope? In a world of fear and distrust and dishonesty, what if the church was a place that called people to hope? In a world of brokenness and suffering and shattering, what if the church was a place where people could come and experience who God is for them in the midst of that space? Not as someone discarded, but as someone cherished and loved and somebody who God will one day make perfect. What if that was who we were? Let's pray. Father, we we know that this life is so challenging and frustrating and, and painful. But Lord, we know that you are holy and that your word is something we can take confidence in. So today, Lord, as I am struggling for words for this prayer, I'm just going to read your word. I'm going to pray it back to you, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the world eagerly waits with anticipation for God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the firstfruits, we also groan. We eagerly await adoption. We eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. But it's in the hope of future glorification that we were saved. hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Lord, if it was all perfect here and now, it wouldn't be hope. It would be reality. And so we know that we hope for what is to come. What we cannot yet see, what we cannot yet understand, Lord, help us to trust and believe that on that day we will not be disappointed, but we will look at you and we will finally be fully and completely made whole. now if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with patience 
in this same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. We don't even know, Lord, what to pray for, and you intercede. You intercede according to the will of God on behalf of your people. In our sufferings, we are not left alone, but you are there and you are present and you are real and you are taking our cause before the Father and you are interceding on our behalf. And it's because of that that we know that all things not some things, not something that once happened, not something that will happen, but all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. What then should we say about this, Lord? If God is for us, as you indeed are, and as your word says you are for your people, who can be against us? In all things, we are more than conquerors through you. And neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.